Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the Yard. It's also the first day of fall football practice for Mississippi State. Yes, I understand we're still in the dog days of summer, but that's where we are. Excited to get out there. We're going to talk about some fall practice stuff today, uh, whatever you want to call it. It's hot, man. It's hot. It's going to be in the mid-90s today. Glad I'm not putting on uh, shoulder pads and helmets today, I can promise you. Hope everybody out there stays hydrated. You know, wasn't too long ago, it was a few days ago, we had a fatality at Brandon High School, uh, apparently due to some uh, heat-related issues. Don't know all the details, but uh, we send our thoughts and prayers out to the family, to the coaching staff, to everybody that uh, cared about that young man. It, um, it's never one of those easy things, man, when young people die. Never is. Death is always difficult to deal with, but especially when it's a young person in the, uh, in the prime of their life. So everybody out there, be careful. Protect yourself. Stay hydrated. So let's, uh, let's make sure that, um, you know, we're doing the things we need to to kind of be safe in this heat. And I tell you, the older I get, uh, the less I enjoy these Mississippi summers. And I don't mean the that I don't enjoy, you know, having some, having some time off, I guess, in some respects. But, uh, man, I guess I'm just getting old. It just seems like it's hotter these days. I look forward to fall. Fall is my favorite season of the year. It lasts about two weeks because we go from summer to, uh, to frigid rather quickly. I remember being a kid, it seemed like fall lasted forever. You know, it started around the middle of September. Next thing you know, it's just kind of, Kind of cool, and it feels like football season. Like having that little uh, little chill in the air, right? But looking forward to that. Looking forward to football season. You know, we had the Hall of Fame game last night. That's like the first real, you know, event of football season. So we'll have some football here to watch in the next uh, few weeks. And the next thing you know, so we some college football stuff. So excited about that I know you guys are as well excited to see our Bulldogs on the practice field today a lot of questions and maybe that's not fair maybe they're not a lot of questions but there are some questions at certain position groups and so we'll uh, we'll see how things progress thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company I love Bulldog Burger Company I love them more than a friend because I know they're going to take care of me whenever I go in there, right? Some places you go and you're like, well, I'm not sure what to order. I'm not sure what I'm going to enjoy. That's not the case in Bulldog Burger Company. You're going to enjoy whatever they bring out. It's almost like you could just kind of like um, play Christopher Columbus on the, uh, on the menu and just point and say, I'll take this. And you're going to be satisfied with your meal after you're done. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas with a brand new patio area. Be sure and go check that out. Lake Harbor Drive there in the original uh, Flowood area, and, of course, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. Enjoy a great restaurant-quality hamburger, and maybe if you don't feel like eating quite that heavy because the portions are rather substantial, have that BLT salad. It is my favorite. They have some other salads on the menu. I like the BLT salad. I like it grilled. You may enjoy it fried. Either way, you're going to get a great portion at a great price, get great service from great people doing a great job for a long time. They have served this triangle, Golden Triangle community for many years, and now they've expanded down to central Mississippi. So be sure and check out Bulldog Burger Company 
the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, so let's jump right into fall practice, right? There are a lot of things that uh, we feel confident about, right? I mean, we know we've got a prolific quarterback that understands our system. We know we have some offensive skill at running back and receiver. I really like our running back tandem. I'm eager to see what maybe Simeon Price and Katravian Hargrove bring to the table. You know, both of them uh, – you played sparingly last year. I guess Price was a little bit banged up in fall camp, so he redshirted. But uh, eager to see what they bring uh, to the table this year. But I think we know Woody Marks and Dylan Johnson, as we discussed on Wednesday's show, those guys are very capable and proven playmakers. Maybe we utilize them a little bit more, but I think also, too, their own development will make them an even bigger threat this year. So eager to kind of see how that works out. Now, the offensive line is really the that's, – that's the issue, right? And that's, that's always the issue. Mason Miller's done a good job kind of putting that group together. And last year, we know we had one of the best tackles in all of college football, left tackle in Charles Cross. And then Scott Lashley was a guy that uh, had some moments. But, um, you know, it's one of those deals where the um, consistency was the issue with Scott. And, you know, that's a guy that was at Alabama for a handful of years and, and didn't play much at all, came here, and then, um, you know, had the injury, didn't play, comes back, and, and does have some moments. But uh, we were not great at right tackle, and I think everybody knows that. And as a result, some of our opponents decided, you know what, I'm going to exploit this uh, situation over here. So they would put their best pass rusher over on the, uh, on the right side. I expect us to be much better at right tackle this year. And that's not necessarily a shot at Scott Lashley, but it kind of is what it is. I mean, just Scott was a guy that did struggle at times. But Albert Reese is a guy that doesn't have a ton of college snaps under his belt. But there is a level of toughness with him that I think is, uh, in many respects, kind of unparalleled among this personnel group. He is a very athletic guy. He is a massive human being. But he is also a guy that uh, has some real grit about him. Now, you guys haven't seen him much. You don't really know, right? But I believe once you see him out there in those first couple ball games, I think you're going to feel like, you know what, hey, we're going to be better at that position. Now, the interior line is something that's rather interesting. Cam Jones will start somewhere, right? Is he at left guard? Is he at left tackle? Is he right tackle? No, I think he's going to be left guard. And then there's the whole battle of uh, right guard. Is Cole Smith there? You know, Cole, of course, um, missed the spring. Be good to see him out there today and kind of see how he's progressed, how much bigger and stronger than he is. Uh, you know, but Cole was a guy, too, if you remember, you know, a couple years ago when we made the move and we had to put Cole Smith in at guard, you know, everything kind of gelled in many respects. You know, we started out at center, had some trouble at times getting the snap back on target, comes out of the lineup. The next thing you know, we have them um, – you know, working at guard. So he could make the checks and things like that. And there is a real nastiness with Cole Smith, too. So I would never discount him in any respect. I think that he is a guy that, number one, grew up a Bulldog, has, uh, you know, is a Bulldog legacy. You know, his dad, of course, uh, had some great years here and in the National Football League. Uh, but, you know, so, yeah, he's in the mix there, too. And then you begin to think, okay, where does Stephen Lasoya kind of mix? You know, Stephen was, you know, played tackle at Middle Tennessee – we thought he'd be a tackle here. He fits our scheme a little bit better at offensive guard. So, 
there are some position battles on the interior that are still kind of being settled. We know Cam Jones will play one of those spots. We know LaQuinson Sharp's going to hold down center. And that's the guy, too. It seems like he's been here forever. But, um, you know, it's big to get him back, not just from a leadership standpoint, but this is a guy, too, that um, has been through the SEC wars. Remember, he was a guard initially, moved to center during bowl practices, and then um, you know, got the additional year. So, uh, feel good about that. So, I, I would say – I would suspect right now the, the, the three starters that we feel really confident about, Cam Jones – LaQuinson Sharp, Albert Reese. The rest of those things are kind of up for grabs. Now, left tackle, one of the most important positions on the field, obviously. And we lose uh, a first-round draft pick there, as we discussed many times. You're not going to be better. You're not going to be as good. You just need to be good. Charles Cross was elite as a pass setter. It's a guy that just didn't, just didn't allow people to get to his quarterback. So, We'll take a little bit of a step back there. How much of a step back is yet to be determined. Uh, Percy Lewis, of course, was recruited to fill that position. Then there's Dollar Bill Johnson, who is trimmed up a little bit more and is really competing there at left tackle. Now, after the spring, it was still rather muddy. Who's going to play that spot? So it may be a couple of weeks before we settle that. And it may even go into the season before we you know, find the right five. I think Mason Miller probably has – you know, maybe seven or eight that he feels really good about or pretty good about at this point. And that's what fall camp is about. It's about building trust, finding out who you're going to be able to put out there and contribute in a great area. And so if we can pass block, I think we're going to have a really good year. There's a lot of moving pieces to all of this, but the good thing is, is outside of a couple spots, we got a lot of SEC snaps under our belt. That's the thing about a guy like Cam Jones, too, that gives you some versatility. You know, let, let's say Percy Lewis wins at left tackle and you put Dollar Bill at left guard and you can slide Cam out to, uh, out to right tackle if necessary. But, uh, I, again, I think Albert Reese is going to hold his own. It's just a matter of, of him kind of being thrown to the fire a little bit and see how he responds. You know, will he be refined in the fire or will he perish in the fire? I'm confident in the young man. So I, I think this offensive line is going to be actually better as a unit, but obviously not as strong at left tackle. Now, how do we replace uh, the production of Makai Polk? Okay, I don't think one guy does it, but let, let's, let's be honest with ourselves too. All we really knew about Makai Polk heading into the season last year is that he was underutilized at Cal and he looked the part. We get into fall camp, and you begin to think, yeah, this, this guy's the dude. Halfway through camp, there was no doubt he was going to be a guy that we could count on. Caleb Ducking is probably the heir apparent at that position. Can Caleb match that level of production? Well, you're only asking him to set a school record. So I don't think that's a fair expectation. We just need him to be good. Now, he showed some flashes last year, too. You know, people forget you know, he, was a, he was a redshirt his first year, probably one of the better decisions that we made. And give Jim Moorhead and the staff a little credit. This is a guy from South Delta High School in Rolling Fork, Mississippi. It was a non-qualifier. He goes to Holmes where they are a run-first offense. And so he basically had to come to Mississippi State, uh, you know, just basically with raw potential and learn to play wide receiver at this level. I think that's an important aspect of this. The learning curve was probably maybe a little steeper. 
for him than maybe it was for some other players. But again, last year, he played kind of loose and fast when he got out there and had a chance to do some things. But uh, you know, get, you're expecting a big jump from him this year. I don't think it'll be what Makai Polk did, but I think Caleb Ducking is a guy that uh, that you can count on. I expect him to do some big things. But again, Makai Polk was a very special player. He did something no Mississippi State players ever done. So you know, when those people say, "Oh, we miss Makai Polk," yeah, no, yeah, for sure, we're going to miss Makai Polk. But I think when you look at it by committee. You know, down the stretch, people forget we didn't have Ra-Ra Thomas. Uh, we didn't have Scooby Ford. You know, those guys are now healthy now. So that, that's almost like kind of, you know, bringing some guys back that were just beginning to kind of realize their potential. You know what you have with Austin Williams? Probably one of the most unheralded players in Mississippi State recent football history. That guy is consistent. He is a leader. He's always getting caught doing the right thing. We expect Tulu Griffin uh, to take a step forward this year, too. You know, last year he became a bigger part of things. I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I want to feed Tulu. I want that guy to have eight, nine, ten touches a game. The guy's explosive. And then you've got some new receivers coming in, too. But, uh, you know, Jaden Wally, of course, is an explosive guy. And I think, I think you feel pretty confident. I mean, if you, if you had to go out there with those four, with Ducking, Williams, Tulu, Possibly Wally. You know, Wally and Williams obviously play on the inside. But, um, you know, that's something you think, you know what, hey, we could probably get open against these guys. And then, of course, there's Ra-Ra. There's Rufus Harvey. You know, there, there's some names that you know that have some real potential. And then you begin to think about the transfers you bring in, too. I mean, so this is a personnel group that is full of talent. And so you've got a really good blend of experience from some of these older guys, and you have some younger guys and newer guys that might have a little more athleticism than some of the veterans that just need to get some SEC reps under their belt. So I feel great about all of our offensive skill. I feel really good about our interior line, and then we'll see what happens with these tackle spots. And, again, you know, we have belabored that point uh, kind of throughout the preseason. You know, what's going to happen at left tackle? You know, well, what's going to happen is we're probably going to have a position battle that goes all the way up into game week. The good news is, is you have some very talented players competing for that spot. And Mason Miller is a guy, too, that's not afraid to kind of move some guys around to find out, uh, you know, where the best mix is, chemistry-wise. So that's why we have these next few weeks to kind of get ready for Memphis. But uh, I feel good about the direction of things on the offensive side of the football Provided we can keep Will Rogers standing up straight, I think we're going to score a lot of points. I think we're going to be even better than we were offensively last year. What were we, 441 yards a game offense? Yeah. What if we could push that to 500, right? That's a big jump. I think you'd see some incredible production from a lot of different players. And I think, again, provided that we can pass protect, especially on the left side, I think you're going to see the air raid run at its highest level of proficiency during its time of implementation here in Starkville, Mississippi. Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. 
And Tecovis has first wear comfort. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, let's look on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, the one thing that jumps out to me, and it did last year too, nobody really talks about it a whole lot, but it's generating a pass rush from that first group. You know, last year, of course, you lose Jordan Davis. Got it's got a ton of potential. Doesn't have a bunch of production. You know, showed some real flashes in 2020. Toward the ACL last year, missed the year. He looks like a million dollars. He does. He looks exactly what you want an SEC defensive end to look like. He does. Very physical, very athletic guy. Limited somewhat in the spring. We expect him to have, um, you know, a big year. Needed him to stay healthy, obviously. But losing him last year and having to kind of play musical chairs really hurt us on pass rush. Randy Charlton was a guy that had a you know, really good career at Central Florida. We, we picked him up, and, and again, he was very, very consistent for us. He's just not as explosive as a guy like J.D. But there's a piece there. You know, I think where this group needs to make the next step is on the interior. You know, Jaden Crumity was a guy that, you know, when we lost him last year, we lost an awful lot, right? He didn't have him in the ball game, and people kind of ran at will against us. Uh, Nathan Pickering is a guy that has had some flashes, too. Very highly regarded recruit coming out of high school. We need him to play up to his potential. You know, Cam Young's a guy that uh, basically we beat out Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College for, you know, at the end. That guy's going to the NFL. 
And so you feel like you've got some experienced hands on the interior, but we need that group to be a little more dominant. We need that group to control the line of scrimmage. We got absolutely bum-rushed against Texas Tech, and that's a team that really wasn't a great running team. Now, granted, we had some injuries there, but you would think with our depth, you know, we ought to be able to get in there and plug and play and make some things happen. So that group, to me, is the key to everything defensively. Now, I think we're going to be pretty salty up front. Got some veteran guys up there, obviously some guys with a lot of SEC snaps under their belt. But we need that group to be a leader for the defense, but also for the team. They have got to establish, you know, some authority there in the trenches. You know, Ty Weed's labeled as a linebacker, but you guys know basically he lines up, uh, you know, as a rush, rush end. That's a guy that's got explosive potential. We need him to be the guy that is unblockable. And I think losing J.D. probably impacted Ty Wheat more than anybody last year. Because before now, now all of a sudden you can kind of shade some protection over to Ty Wheat's side to kind of keep him off your quarterback. Well, if you've got Jordan Davis on the other side, you know, you're, you're going to have to kind of pick your poison. And so I think J.D. coming back at full strength makes Ty Wheat – a better player in many respects because I think he's going to have more opportunities to impact games. I like our front, but I'm ready to see them play to their full potential. And again, we, this is, these are some highly recruited guys. I mean, it's not like you know Cam Young is the only like true developmental guy. You know, Ty Weed, of course, his freshman year of uh, junior college played at safety, then moved to linebacker, and, and again he's playing linebacker now, but um, a little bit big and beefy for a linebacker, you know. Uh, and I remember last fall, he was, he was impossible to block. And, th- and that wasn't just a byproduct of the fact that we were struggling a little bit at right tackle. Ty Wheat's a dude. And I think he'll be an even bigger impact guy this year just because of the fact that Jordan Davis is back. But it's not going to be just about Jordan Davis. You know, it's some other guys, some young guys, Demonte Russell, those guys, uh, they got to step up. It's time. It's time for them, for the light to come on a little bit. and let, Let's get ready to ride a little bit. All right, looking at linebackers, you know, we feel really good about – this group, I worry a little bit about depth, though. On defense, this is probably the personnel group from a second-team standpoint that worries me the most. And it's not because we don't have talent. It's just we don't know how they're going to play. We don't know how they're going to respond when given the opportunity. You know what you've got in Buki Watson and Jed Johnson? And I'm really happy for both of those guys. But when we when Buki Watson first showed up on camp, I remember reading some of these practice reports, and, and it, it did not reflect what happened on the practice field. Buki Watson is one of the most improved players over the course of the last decade. He was a wide receiver in high school, and, and he was like last or next to last when it came to taking uh, individual positional reps, and he was guessing a lot. He was thinking a lot. He was hesitating a lot. He just didn't know what to do. And in 2020, you put him out on that field, and all of a sudden the natural athleticism takes over, and he just kind of reads and reacts. The guy has really grown as a player. I could see him coming out this year. And if he does, that means he's had a heck of a year. Jed Johnson, a guy that some people thought would be relegated to a special teams guy in his career, they kind of given up on Jed. Jed's the most productive tackler we have. Jed Johnson's the reason Aaron Brule is at Michigan State. Jet won the job. Now, of course, Aaron Brule, obviously an extremely gifted athlete, but uh, missed a lot of tackles last year, missed some sacks last year. Jet may not be quite as explosive as Aaron Brule, but he is more consistent as a player. Aaron Brule wanted to be kind of guaranteed he was going to start this year. 
Uh, Zach Arnett couldn't make that assurance to him. So he likes to transfer. And I, and I love Aaron Brule. I, I think he is a fantastic young man. I hope he has a great year at Michigan State and uh, finds a way to the National Football League. Uh, great young man. But struggled with consistency last year. And Jed Johnson is Mr. Consistency. The guy seems to understand where he's supposed to be at all times. And so you feel good about that group. You know, Ty Wheat, Buki, and, uh, and Jet. That's a group right now that I, I believe could, you know, they could play for just about anybody in this conference, maybe with the exception of Alabama or Georgia. But uh, you've got some guys out there that, uh, you know, have some real ability. Now, behind them, that's what you got to figure it out. You know, Nick Mitchell, that's a guy that was a bit of a developmental guy. He looks the part. It's time for Nick to get going. Now, Deshaun Page, and I've had Matt Brock tell me this maybe three or four times now, unsolicited. Deshaun Page took the biggest step forward of all the linebackers in the spring. That's big. That's huge for Mississippi State. So you get him going, now you start thinking, okay, you've got some guys you can kind of rotate in and out of there and keep guys fresh later in ball games. And Deshaun Page looks like an SEC linebacker. I love our young linebacker core. I don't know how many of them play this year. Some of them may. But you've got some veteran guys out there. We just got to find you know, a little bit of depth. We need Nick Mitchell to come on. We really do. We need Nick Mitchell to come on. But I begin, begin to think about Ty Wheat and those guys and uh, moving DeMonte around a little bit, kind of depending on a, a team need. Uh, Ty Cooper, another one. So I'm feeling a little bit better about this group after talking to Matt Brock, but I'm eager to see them on the field these next few weeks. We have some athleticism. We do. We just need some guys that understand how to play the team concept. And that's the thing about Buki and Jet. You know, it's like those guys get it. Those guys are going to move the line of scrimmage when they can. They're going to plug gaps. They're going to tackle well in space. You just need some guys behind them. Because, you know, what, what if we have a guy that gets banged up? You know, that's what worries me, linebacker, is what happens if we have a guy get banged up. Because, you know, linebacker is a very physical position. Good chance you're going to have some guys uh, miss some time or be slow due to uh, – you know, some bumps and bruises. But uh, I like the toughness of this group. Would feel a little bit better about some depth. If we had gone out and taken a linebacker at the portal in the spring, I think that would have been a good thing. And maybe you couldn't find that guy, but I'd love to have had just maybe one more guy. Maybe and It doesn't have to be an impact guy, but a guy that can give you some depth, kind of, you know, kind of be do the grunt work for you. Now, the secondary, you know, we were really worried about safety in 2020. If we had had one SEC safety down the stretch last that 2020 year, you probably beat Georgia. You probably beat Ole Miss because we got victimized to safety. We absolutely did. We had to play some basically career special teams guys out there, and there were a reason they were down the depth chart, and that's not to say anything negative about them as people. They gave us all they had for as long as they could, and they just weren't quite good enough. Simple as that. Sean Preston is a veteran guy that it, you know, coverage has not been his strong suit, though he made some plays last year. But against the run, Sean Preston is a very, very physical player. He's not the least bit scared to get in there and fit a gap and blow somebody up. He brings the heat when he hits, has a little more of a physical um, you know, style of play, and you have to in this league. Jackie Matthews is the guy that we're really high on. We expect him to kind of make some strides this year. Uh, Colin Duncan is a guy that has at times been a little bit inconsistent. Other times he's made some real flashes. You know, and that's the thing you begin to ask yourself is, you know, with all this influx of talent, how does he kind of factor in? 
You know, competition makes everybody better. Jalen Green is a guy last year, I, I thought towards the end of the year, we were seeing the best version of Jalen Green. Expecting the big year from him this year. This is a guy who's highly recruited. Everybody in America can't be wrong, right? He goes to Texas, it doesn't work out, they move him to the corner, we bring him to nickel. I'm eager to see what he does this year and year two. So I like this safety group. I'm eager to see how the, the, the two deep kind of settles. But I think, you know, I don't know that uh, Zach Arnett could, could really go wrong in many respects. And I think having guys like Jackie Matthews, a guy that played corner at West Virginia, that knows how to cover, I think that's big. Because we had some guys that were kind of run stoppers playing over the top, and you know, they struggled with ball skills. And I think Jackie Matthews is a guy that has ball skills. So how that all plays out remains to be seen. Now, corners, you know who Emmanuel Forbes is, obviously. How does the two deep stack up? Now, post-spring, the Camryon Richardson was the first-team corner opposite Emmanuel Forbes. Darcel McBath has told me multiple times, nobody improved more than the Camryon Richardson. I think part of that is because of the fact that now Martin Emerson is gone, he sees an opportunity to play. He knows that it is his job to go get. He's not going to get it by default. He's got to go win the job. But I think the light has come on because I think he realized when he got here, hey, I'm not going to beat out Martin. Well, now Martin's in the NFL. So let me go see what I can do. And, of course, you bring into Carlos Nicholson, one of the top-rated junior college corners in the country. And, that, and that's a guy, too, that, um, you know, he's kind of gotten, getting bound athleticism. You know, he's kind of learning the position. There's Marcus Banks, a guy that was highly recruited as well. you got Hunter Washington. Now, I think Hunter Washington is more of a squat corner, right? I, and I don't think that he's a guy that um, you're really going to you know, put outside very often. Maybe you line him up over the slot. You bring him in as your nickel guy, you know, maybe in some dime packages. You know, we'll see. But uh, I don't see Hunter Washington in the same light that I do the DeCamerion Richardsons, the Marcus Banks, the DeCarlos uh, Nicholson. Uh, Hunter Hunter Washington, to me, is um, he's kind of a throwback corner in many respects, and he is a very physical player. I just don't know that he has the length to really play outside the numbers consistently. So it will be interesting to see how they utilize him. And, of course, he didn't get the benefit of, um, you know, spring here at Mississippi State. So, don't, I'm not expecting a lot from him this year. I do like that addition, though. And I think, again, when you look at how this cornerback's room has kind of transformed over the course of the last two classes, I think you begin to realize, you know, Darcel McBath is kind of recruiting in his own image. He wants those long, lean, athletic corners that the NFL is so uh, intrigued by these days. And that's what Martin Emerson was. Even though, and, he, and he was a uh, he was you know, signed by the previous staff. Uh, he was a T Buck signee, and give T Buck a lot of credit for closing that thing out. Emmanuel Forbes also uh, was a guy that signed under Joe Moorhead. But if you look at what we're doing, and kind of look at the, the prototype of the Bulldog cornerback, they're, they're a lot like Darcel McBath. And so I like the direction this thing is going. When the first year, we looked at those corners, and it's like, okay, we feel really good about Martin Emerson, and then what are we going to do? Well, we started a size Furge, and then he got beat on the fade, handful of ball games, and next thing you know, Forbes is out there and ends up being, a, what, a freshman All-American? Yeah. Long wins at corner. Uh, so I feel good about those groups. It's just a matter of, again, settling the offensive line and then figuring out who's going to start 
you know, in that secondary at safety. I mean, I don't, I don't think there are really that many position battles. Now, that, that left cornerback spot, obviously, you're going to want some competition there because you want to push to Cameron. But uh, if you end up having to start Marcus Banks or even to Carlos Nicholson, I think you feel like you've got talent there. You just kind of need some experience. But, uh, again, the fact that the Cameron has been in his system now for a couple of years, I think you feel pretty good about the direction and the trajectory of his career. But, I mean, how many years in the past do we go into fall camp thinking, oh, who's going to do this, who's going to do that? You know, by and large, we don't have that much up for grabs. The, the, the problem is, is that the ones we do are very important, right? Starting corner, starting safety, left tackle. Outside of that, we feel like we're pretty good. But uh, I suspect we'll have most of these answers over the course of the next couple of weeks. But uh, those are the things that I'm looking forward to. And I'm ready to get out there and, you know, get some fresh pictures and see the team and kind of see how those guys have kind of developed over the summer. And uh, we'll have an opportunity to talk to Mike Leach uh, later today after the first day. All right, time for today's top 10 list brought to you as always by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. It's my friend, your friend, everybody's friend, America's friend, Blair Chandler. Blair is a guy that gets things done. There are a lot of people that want your business, but you know what? Do business with people that get business done, right? Blair Chandler, top 1% close ratio in the country in the mortgage industry, two years running. 21 years of experience in the industry, works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it came to mortgage loan origination. Let Blair go to work for you. And Blair believes in keeping business in the family whenever we can. I like to do business with Bulldogs when I can. I like to keep it in the family, kind of support each other. I think we should all do that. Blair's number, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Uh, Blair's a season ticket holder in multiple sports, has a place here in Starkville. And you know what? If you listen to this show, no matter your recruiting or, or rooting interest, you mentioned that Blair, you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pay for that appraisal. It's about a $500 value. And there's a lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage closed. It's nice when somebody will save you a few bucks. That's Blair because he wants your business. He wants to do business and wants to help you get good business. So, again, that's Blair Chandler with CloseWithBlair.com, a true mortgage professional. Okay, my buddy Scott, who I played soccer with in the men's league down in Baton Rouge, Reached out to Roy and I and said, hey, I've got an idea for the top 10 list. We're going to use Scott's idea. Scott said, you know, we've done these, you know, heartbreak and lover's lament songs. How about like an in-your-face rock and roll breakup song? You know, Scott, you came to the right place. You did. You came to the right place. Now, I could probably put a list of 50 together for this, but I did, and we put 10 together. We put 10 now, some of these are a little silly. Some of these are very petty. And some of these are just great rock and roll songs. You're like, you know what? I don't need you anymore. I don't. So these are not these, oh, please come back to me. Oh, woe is me. My life is over type breakup songs. These are, you know what? I'm just better off. You know, Kelly Clarkson didn't make the list. See if no since you've been gone is great. Um... Yeah, and I'll tell you a song that didn't make the list is, uh, is Hender. Hender has uh, the great song, Without You. You know, Without You, you know, basically, I never would have found happiness. You know, without you, I'm, I'm living it up more every day. 
They didn't make the list, but I wanted to kind of give them an honorable mention. So here we go, our top 10 hard rock breakup songs. Now, these span a few different decades, too. So these are these, so there's some modern stuff in here. There's some 90s stuff in here, even some 80s stuff in here, as you would expect. But here is one that most of you don't know. Now, this band is uh, very highly regarded by their peers out in L.A. They're very much kind of a blues band. You know, doesn't have amazing vocals, but it's good. Some of it's kind of silly and fun. Uh, it's the band Junkyard. And there's a classic song off the self-titled album Junkyard about a breakup called Hands Off. Hands Off. Get your hands off my throat because I can't breathe. And anyway, there's a breakdown in there that uh, is absolutely incredible. Um, I, I wouldn't listen to this song with the kids in the car, right, unless they've got a good sense of humor and they're a little bit older. But Hands Off from Junkyard is your number 10 hard rock breakup song. And, I, and if you've never heard it, trust me, go listen to it. It's, it's, it's silly, but it's good. It'll have you pumping your fist in the air. Number nine, one of our top 10, top 10 list is because of this great band. And I love them. And it's Bullet for My Valentine's Bittersweet Memories. This is a great one here. You know, take my picture off the wall. You know, it's, it's so great. You know, burn it all and then bury the ashes. And uh, I can play some of this on guitar. I mean, I'm not very good at it, but I can play it. I do enjoy that, that intro. But uh, Bullet is a great band. If you're looking for a modern rock band that maybe you're unfamiliar with, Bullet for My Valentine's the way to go. And it's Bittersweet Memories. I would start there because I think you're going to love that one. It's got that huge chorus, too. Number eight, Three Days Grace. They had the second most number one rock singles in the history of rock and roll music. Shinedown has more because Shinedown has a new album out. It kind of jockeys back and forth. Three Days Grace is a huge following. And maybe, you know, you don't know them. And I think Adam Gautier said recently that they're, they're considering a reunion, which would be amazing. Even though Adam Gautier's got the Santa Sonia stuff going, that we, maybe we'll see a short run with Three Days Grace with the original lineup. I would be up for that. But we're going to go with uh, I Hate Everything About You, and that's not the Ugly Kid Joe version. I Hate Everything About You. That's a breakup song if there ever was one. All right, number seven. This is an amazing song. I've heard uh, Brent Scallions and these guys sing it and perform it live. The guy's an amazing vocalist. It's also, there's a cover version of this on American Idol that made Chris Daughtry famous and led to Fuel offering Chris Daughtry the lead singing job in their band when they were estranged from Brent Scoggins. It's the song Hemorrhage, In My Hands, Love Lies Bleeding, In My Hands, again. An amazing song. The lyrics are great, the vocals are great. A great, great, great song. Stands up to this day. Number six, going back to the 80s. we got to get Motley in there somewhere. It's Don't Go Away Mad from Motley Crue. Off the Dr. Feelgood album. Girl, don't go away mad, just go away. And there's some parts of the song that are kind of, you know, kind of sad or whatever. But uh, it's basically about getting over somebody. But uh, a great tune. And it's one of those things, too, like Nikki Six watched some movie. I can't remember which one it was. He watched some movie. There was a line in the movie that said something like the, along those lines, just, you know, just go away. And that's, that's how it started. 
That's how the creative mind works. Number five, one of my favorite modern rock bands, and they have reunited recently and started producing new material, which I'm very excited about. A lot of people called them an emo band. I don't, you know, I don't like all these labels. This is just a great modern rock band. It's My Chemical Romance, and uh, pretty straightforward here. No cryptic lyrics with this one. It's I Don't Love You. And then the chorus is like, I don't love you like I did yesterday. And uh, it's, it's great. I love the part, too, where he says, uh, you know, when you leave, you know, don't you dare say this. You know, I, I think about those things, too. Because that's what happens. Like when somebody breaks up, they, they try to, you know, to vilify you. You know, you're, you're the bad guy. Oh, you'll never understand all this stuff. And then, you know, you get back together and people are like idiots to their friends. But um, anyway, number four, not really a hard rock song, but a legendary rock song that is one of those songs, too, that you look at and you just kind of get excited about because there's so many layers to the song. There's so much that goes into the song. I think it's easy to get excited about it. But it's uh, Go Your Own Way from Fleetwood Mac. And I love Lindsey Buckingham's guitar work. I mean, you know, he's a plucker. And um, his guitar work on this song is legendary. All right, number three. Going back a few years, too. Another 80s band. Uh, missed the chance to see Tom Kiefer and those guys uh, on, the, on their Summer Slam tour, Sonic Summer, whatever it was. Uh, caught L.A. Guns in their last show of the of their tour with Faster Pussycat. Faster Pussycat now working their way back to California now uh, for a much-needed break. Always good to see, uh, you know, Danny and, and Chad and Sam and those guys. But um, Cinderella, a legendary breakup song. It's Nobody's Fool off the Night Songs album. And that Night Songs album holds up. Man, I listened to that recently. I was traveling. That album in its entirety, sometimes you forget how good it is. It's a debut album. Of course, they were discovered by John Bon Jovi. Next thing you know, that uh, they take them out on the road, and Cinderella was huge, huge. It's a shame that things ended the way they did. We didn't get enough, and now Jeff Labar is, is gone, and so it's disappointing. But um, we've probably heard the last of Cinderella, but thankfully Tom Kiefer still on the road performing those great Cinderella songs. But Nobody's Fool, which was the second single off the debut album. Shake Me was first, then Nobody's Fool came second. And this is not just some power ballad. I mean, there is some, there's some darkness. There's some crunch. I love this track, man. Number two, a little more modern. Not quite as classic rock, but uh, again, kind of a sophomoric slant when it comes to a breakup song. It's Puddle of Mud, She Hates Me. She Hates Me. And again, it's a fun song. Everybody sings along to it. And uh, sometimes, it, you know, I'm sure it's one of those songs that are anthemic for young people that, um, that get broken up with. If you don't know Puddle of Mud, you should. I dig those guys. And they've got a lot of problems. But um, their first couple albums are outstanding. And number one, we mentioned them earlier on the show. It's Bon Jovi. The greatest of the rock breakup songs is Shot to the Heart, You're Too Blame. Darling, you give love a bad name. I jammed that on my way back from my Memphis the other night. And that's another album that holds up. Slippery When Wet. I've got a Slippery When Wet tattoo. You maybe, maybe you didn't know that. I do. I got, a, I got a Cinderella tattoo, too. I got a Heartbreak Station tattoo. So, You Give Love a Bad Name, a phenomenal, legendary song. I love that whole album. 
I like 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit an awful lot, too. And I like New Jersey a lot, too. But Slippery When Wet, to me, is the definitive Bon Jovi album. Uh, as John got older, of course, they lost a little bit of their edge, and they still write some cool stuff. Um, you, you may remember when John Cohen came back to Mississippi State. He mentioned in an interview a Bon Jovi song. And I think I've shared it with you guys before. It's the old Bon Jovi song, Who Says You Can't Go Home. You know, when he came back here, he said you know, that was a song that kind of meant something to him. And what's funny about that is I mentioned it to John maybe a year or so ago, and he completely forgot about it. I was like, John, are you kidding me? This is, this is, you, you mentioned this in the interview, and I guess maybe because I'm an 80s rock nerd, it registered with me. But uh, Bon Jovi, a great American band, still out there doing it. I uh, wish Richie Sambora was back with them. I think Richie kind of gave them the rock edge. But I don't know that Richie wants to do it anymore. But, um, you know, again, that's your list. If you've been broken up with recently, maybe these songs will give you a little bit of uh, satisfaction, maybe some smug and sinister satisfaction as you sing this and think about your ex, because how dare they not love us anymore, right? We're awesome. It's your loss. But that's a top ten list. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out. Let me know. Hit up Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And Roy gets you on the list. And Roy's the one that suggested this. Roy also has a nice idea for Monday. And so I'm going to take the weekend and kind of think about that. Because uh, it is, uh, you know, we've got some, some pretty interesting anniversaries coming up. So we're going to talk about that. And again, thank you guys for your support of the rock songs of 82. I had, there was a lot of discussion about that. I haven't seen the numbers yet to see how well that list did. But there was a lot of social media traffic. A lot of people messaged me about it and said, I can't believe these songs are 40. You know, uh, they are, and they still get played on radio. That's what's amazing. And how would you feel like if you created a song and then like 40 years later, it's still on the radio regularly and like people know it as part of popular culture? It's amazing. If we could all be so gifted, right? So reach out, let us know. Thanks again, as always, for your support of the Top Ten list. And uh, look forward to the next one on Monday. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. You know them. You know them well. And if you don't, you should. Nobody has more Mississippi State merchandise to choose from than Campus Bookmart. The new bully shop upstairs. So next time you're in town, you go by and visit them. You don't have to walk down those stairs. It's all upstairs now. The most extensive selection of Mississippi State merch on the known planet. Right there at Campus Bookmark. A lot of people carry Mississippi State gear. Nobody carries more than Campus Bookmark. Go by and see their smiling faces. The lovely, talented Susie, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely Pam Minyard, my friend. Go by and let them treat you like family because in their minds, you are family. If you can't make the town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmark.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. All right, we continue our SEC previews this week. Today, we're going to talk about the University of Florida. We're working through it alphabetically, in case you didn't notice. We've done Alabama. We've done Arkansas. We've done Auburn. And among those three, obviously, I expect Alabama to have the best season, Auburn to have the worst, and Arkansas to be somewhere in the middle. A team that I think may actually exceed expectations is Florida. I don't expect them to set the woods on fire. I do think they'll be a little bit better than they were last year. I think last year you had some culture issues, which is amazing considering Dan Mullen had such good culture here. I think the issue with Dan 
is that Dan had difficulty transitioning to recruiting at the level required to compete at the University of Florida. Dan had some guys here that were not elite recruiters. He took them with him to Florida. Dan didn't make them recruit here, and you could kind of get away with some of that because Dan was such a good football coach. Well, at the University of Florida, things don't work out that way. And I don't know that Dan Mullen could consistently recruit at the level required at Florida, but also, too, could he manage those personalities? It's one thing to have a couple of those guys, but to have a roster full of guys that were highly recruited and maybe a little bit self-entitled, I don't know that Dan would mess well with that. That said, here we are. Let's take a look back at the 2021 season for the Florida Gators. They opened the season with a 35-14 win of, over Florida Atlantic. They knock out USF 42-20. They lose in the swamp to Alabama 31-29 and nearly pulled that thing off. Dan played Alabama really tight the last couple of appearances against them and just couldn't get them. And so Dan, as a head coach, never beats Alabama. Think about that for a second. Never beats them. Couldn't beat them here. Couldn't beat them there. Played them a little bit closer there. And I guess maybe, what, 2017? Played them really close here. Should have won the game. They bounced back uh, the next week, and they just mowed down Tennessee 38-14. I thought that game would be a little more competitive. It was not. And then Dan loses in Kentucky. And give Mark Stoops some credit. You know, State dominated Kentucky for the most part for many years for about a decade or so and then you have you know we had Peter Sermonitis in 2016 but uh, Stoops gave Mullins scheme trouble and I think a lot of that's because they run those odd fronts it's difficult to uh, adjust in a week's time they could account for the quarterback and the run game so Stoops had a good game plan and then they they beat Florida 20 to 13 pretty crazy the next week they bounce back and they beat Vanderbilt 42-0. So now you know that you're out of you're basically out of the SEC East race at this point. They had gone the year before. You got two losses with Georgia left to play. But in order to kind of stay in the mix there, you got to beat LSU. And they go down there and LSU runs all over them. Absolutely took the fight to the Florida Gators. Ty Grantham's defense kind of powerless to stop them. LSU wins 49-42. It was an incredibly competitive and entertaining game, especially if you had no rooting interest. Well, then they get the bye week to prepare for the University of Georgia. Didn't matter. And, and you knew that they were in trouble. Of course, now with three SEC losses, you, know, you feel like Florida probably has a little give up in them, right? Because like if you had beaten Georgia, you just need to get some help somewhere. Even though it's going to be difficult, you still had a puncher's chance. But with three SEC losses going into uh, Jacksonville to play Georgia, you know you're just basically playing for a bowl game. You're not playing for a chance to go win an SEC championship. And Georgia embarrassed them 34-7. to And then Florida quit at this point. They absolutely quit. South Carolina destroys Florida 40-17. to Now, do you think South Carolina is more talented than Florida? Absolutely not. But Shane Beamer had those guys motivated. South Carolina at home, a lot more motivated, felt like they could win the game. They did. They embarrassed Florida. I expected Florida to bounce back and win that game just on town alone. They didn't. Now, all of a sudden, you've got five losses, five in the SEC. So you're going to have a losing record. 
And then Samford. The Bulldogs go into the swamp and should have won the game. It was a toe-to-toe fight over and over and over and over. And then late, finally, Sanford wears down a little bit. Florida's talent takes over. The final score is 70-52. to Craziness. The next week, they go to Missouri, and Missouri gets them. And that Missouri defense last year was dreadful. But Missouri wins in overtime, 24-23. to And then that's it. That's it for Dan Mullen. Greg Knox, one of the winningest coaches in the history of college football, leads them to a win 24-21 in the swamp over Florida State to achieve bowl eligibility. And then they play Central Florida and lose that game 29-17. So not a a great year by any stretch. And you start writing all this stuff up and you begin to realize, you know, this is a Florida team that is recruited pretty well. And then you look at all these red L's up here. And you begin to realize that, uh, you know, things turn quickly. You know, Dan Mullen went to, what, three consecutive New Year's Six games and was in the SEC, SEC championship game. And then one bad year and he's done. And, and so I think it shows there's more to it. I'm not in any way trying to suggest there's a scandal. But what I'm trying to suggest here is that Dan Mullen lost a locker room. Dan lost a locker room. I don't think there's any question about it. And I think that there was some give up in this team. And that's kind of what happens sometimes, too. When, when you have people that have a sense of self-entitlement and things don't go their way, they tend to pack up, right? And, and we see it in life all the time, right? When things don't go their way, well, I don't want to play. If I can't win, I don't want to play. And so that's kind of what happened with Florida. So that's how things look. So, so what happens now? Billy Napier comes in. and I'm a Billy Napier fan. I've said that from the beginning. Uh, I think Billy Napier is scared of the SEC West. Absolutely. Because he didn't show a lot of interest in any of the SEC West jobs that came open. That includes Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. And contrary to popular belief, he was not a serious candidate for the Mississippi State job the way that some people suggested. Was State interested in him? Yes. Things never really got off the mat. We never had a face-to-face conversation with him. But you know what? Good for Billy Napier. Because Billy Napier bet on himself, said, you know what? I'm not going to go to Ole Miss. I'm not going to go to Arkansas. I'm not going to go to Mississippi State. I'm going to wait. And there was a lot of discussion that he had his eyes on that South Carolina job. He didn't get it, but ultimately gets the Florida job. So the way that the dominoes fell worked out good for Billy Napier and his family. And here's one of the reasons that I think Billy Napier will do well there. Number one, you're always going to be able to attract offensive skill at the University of Florida. Billy is also kind of an old-school power running coach with some odd formations. That's you know, they, they have that three-headed monster there at UL Lafayette. They want to spread you out and beat you up, similar to what Dan Mullen did. And so the reason that I think he'll be successful uh, is because – he is a great X's and O's guy, and he is going to inherit some guys that were recruited to run a scheme similar to what he runs. So there won't be this, you know, transformation of sorts, if that makes sense. All right, so we'll see how things go. 
I think they're going to be pretty good. I don't think they're going to be great. I think they're going to be pretty good, though. I, I got them finishing third in the East. And maybe I'm crazy. I actually got – I think I got Tennessee second. But um, but anyway, it's not going to start with quarterback. You know, I mean, it's the thing, too. Like, you know, how did Florida get so quarterback poor? I don't know if I understand that. How did that happen at the University of Florida? Emory Jones was a guy I liked a lot as a high school prospect after seeing him in practice one day at the University of Florida. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, they get Kyle Trask after Felipe Franks gets injured. And Kyle Trask ends up uh, kind of you know, being the guy that uh, Dan Mullen kind of catches lightning in a bottle. But Florida is quarterback poor. Now, Anthony Richardson is an elite athlete. He did some really big things last year. And then they put him in as a starter, and he absolutely imploded. But that's a guy. He's a guy, I think, in this game, I think Billy Napier will know how to use him. I think Anthony Richardson could be a star by the end of the year. Not many people are talking about him. I think most people have him ranked in the second half of the league at quarterback. But I think in this game, I think he could be awfully interesting. Awfully interesting. Now, you look around at running back, um, you know, Naquan Wright is supposed to be the dude. They also had the big transfer from U of Lafayette, Montreal Johnson. Uh, Johnson rushed for 838 yards as a freshman. And so this is a guy that knows Napier's scheme, knows Napier's expectations. We expect him to do some big things. Uh, this Florida offense, too, you know, they were not great at wide receiver. And that's another thing, too, you begin to ask yourself, how does that happen at University of Florida? I mean, this is the school of you know, Rydell Anthony and, and Ike Hilliard and Jacques Green. I mean, there's a lot, been a lot of great receivers over the years. Percy Harvin. How does this happen, Dallas Baker? You know, how does Florida – not have game-breaking household name type receivers. Just shouldn't be the case, right? Uh, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how things go here, uh, you know, with them. Uh, Justin Shorter probably uh, you know, the leading guy coming back there. But, um, you know, this is an offense in many respects that is in need of an influx of talent. They went out and got a bunch of transfers. And we'll see how things progress with them. But I think from an X's and O's standpoint, Billy will be fine. That offensive line, that's one thing I give John Levy some credit for. John's not an elite recruiter. He's not willing to get out there and fight in the streets for the four- and five-star guys with regularity, unless he has a connection. He's just not willing to get out there and do that. But John Levy's a good coach. So the foundation that these guys have on the offensive line is good. They're going to be guys that understand about toughness. And in, in this scheme, that offensive line's got to be tough and nasty. So I think in some respects, John Hevesy, while he didn't go get a lot of elite talents on the offensive line, has left them some players that fit what they want to do on the offensive line. Defensively, two rough years with Ty Grantham as a defensive coordinator. And if you saw that coming, raise your hand, because I didn't. I, I didn't see that coming. I really didn't. I really felt that Ty Grantham – was kind of the, the, the missing ingredient in the Dan Mullen experience. You know, we, we had some good moments with Grantham as our D.C. here. But it didn't translate there. You know, Todd struggled at Georgia, was successful at Louisville, was successful at Mississippi State. You know, maybe, maybe just maybe, that's the level where he needs to be. You know, the mid-level Power 5 program. Uh, I like Coach Grantham a lot. I really do. But uh, he is definitely a high-risk, high-reward type guy. He will come after you. But if you beat him in a blitz, 
it's off to the races. Now, this Florida defense, uh, you know, Brenton Cox Jr. is back. Could be a big guy for them. Um, you know, we'll see. You know, and I think Florida, too, I always think uh, linebackers. You know, a, a guy that we know, uh, Dewan Black, that, that's a guy that uh, former Mississippi State commitment, ended up going to Florida, didn't make it, goes to junior college, comes back. It'd be interesting to see. This is uh, kind of a money year for him, kind of see how things progress with him. Uh, you know, where's he going to play? You know, that, that's the thing I'm eager to see, you know. Um, that'll be good. Now, the secondary, too, you got some guys that can run. You get the transfer from Georgia, Jalen Kimber. It could be a guy that factors in there. But, uh, you know, again, I, I don't remember seeing a lot of these Florida guys that you look at and say, you know what, what who is that? What's that kid's name? You know, just, again, I think this is a team that is maybe bubbling under the surface a little bit, and you're going to see some guys emerge as playmakers in the weeks and months to come. This is not a roster devoid of talent. They are a roster that's kind of devoid of stars. There are a handful of guys out there. And, of course, Richardson could be one uh, as they continue to develop. But they're going to run the football. They're going to be very quarterback-heavy run. They're going to do a lot of the same things they did uh, at UL Lafayette. A lot of play-action, roll-out stuff, try to simplify the passing game. But it's going to be interesting as the year goes along, as teams in the SEC begin to see film on Florida, how will they counter? And then what will Billy Napier do to kind of counter off of that? Because, you know, football is a game of adjustments. It's not just an individual game, not just an individual quarter, but over the course of a season. You have to adjust. You have to kind of modify things based on how people are defending you. So that will be interesting to see. Let's take a look at this 2022 schedule for these guys. And it's, I'm excited, like all you guys are. I'm ready to watch anybody play college football. All right, so they open up at home against Utah, the fighting Chad Bumpuses. And I'll be honest with you, I like Utah in this game. I may look silly come September 3rd, but I think Utah will win this game. I just think there's so many moving parts with the change in Florida. They're not going to be ready. And they probably would have benefited from playing maybe Utah State in week one. But Utah coming to Ben Hill Griffin, I got Florida dropping that game. Well, then they host Kentucky. And you guys know, maybe I'm a Kentucky hater. I just think Florida will be able to out-athlete them. I'm eager to see how Stoops will attack Napier's scheme. And as Napier watched what Kentucky has done against the Dan Mullen scheme, and what kind of innovation will they have? But I'm going to pick Florida to win this game. It's in the swamp. Toss-up games tend to favor the home team. South Florida. That's a win for, Miss, for Florida. South Florida was awful last year. All right, then they've got to go to Tennessee. And I think this is the game that determines second place in the SEC East. I'm, again, I'm giving this to the toss-up to the home team, Tennessee. I like what those guys are doing up there. It'd be interesting to see what the sanctions look like. I think they're happy to kind of have get this behind them. They got a great quarterback. They have some offensive skill. Got a good offensive scheme. I like Tennessee. Could be a good game. All right, so I got them dropping that game. So after four games, we got Florida two and two. Then they get Eastern Washington. That's a dub. 
They get Missouri in a swamp. That's a dub. And they get LSU in a swamp. Now, that's an interesting game right there. Again, it's a toss-up, and you'd say, well, it favors the home team. So we're going to go with that. We're going to stick with that. So now all of a sudden you've got a winning three in a row. They're five and two going into the bye week. And then they lose to Georgia, makes them five and three. They go on the road to A&M. Interesting game, right? I got them losing the game, though. I'd love to see them win it because it helps us, right? That's got them five and four. And then they're going to beat South Carolina. They're going to beat Vanderbilt. And they're going to beat Florida State. So you're looking at, you know, eight and four, nine and three type year this year. You know, I think the losses are Utah, Tennessee, Georgia. I think those are your three certain losses. And then you know, the LSU game is a toss-up. So we'll see. You know, again, we'll stick with that. But, uh, you know, it, what's interesting about this schedule for Florida is most of the teams that will, should be favored to beat them host them, Right. You know, trips to Tennessee, the neutral side game at, at Georgia, which they're talking about moving that back to campus. And then uh, you, you travel to A&M. Yeah, that's, again, games that you're probably going to lose. But the home schedule is favorable. And, again, I, I think Mike Norville and Florida State are in trouble. I think Napier will find a way to win that game. That could be the last game for Norville. But you start looking at this home schedule, you know, they ought to be able to run through the home schedule with some pretty good success. I mean, so they're like, hey, the Swamp is back. I just think the schedule's more favorable at home. A lot of home games. And outside of that Utah game, you look at it and say, you know, the, the first two games, Utah and Kentucky, they're, they're going to be good ball games. But outside of that, you know, they should be able to go on a nice little run there. So I, I think they're going to be really good at home. And Billy Napier is a guy that kind of knows how to shorten the game on you. They get up a couple scores on you. They just kind of run the football over and over and over again. You look up, and next thing you know, the game is over. I, I suspect that'll be the case. And so, again, I think a lot of people are maybe discounting Florida a little bit. Now, I read this stuff, you know, and let's pull this up again because, you know, I laugh about some of this stuff because I, I just think if you, if you take it game by game and schedule by schedule – some of these picks don't make a lot of sense, right? Um, all right, so let's go back to the SEC media poll for the East. They have Florida fourth. Now, I'm not too far. I can't disagree too much there. They have Kentucky second. I have Kentucky fourth. Uh, and I think Kentucky's a team. I think Kentucky's a team, too, that if they're not careful, South Carolina could leapfrog them. There's so much hype about Will Levis, but um, – you know, I think Florida, from a talent standpoint, they have talent. They just need the talent to develop. And, again, I think Napier's an X's and O's guys. He will get those guys rolling. But, uh, again, Florida pick fourth. I have them third behind Tennessee. I have Tennessee second in the east behind Georgia. I don't think, I don't think there's anybody that's going to consistently give Georgia trouble. It's a tough place to go play. I mean, it really is. Go between the hedges, Sanford Stadium. They'll get after you. But um, – Again, I think it's a good first year for Napier. And I think him being in the East is probably best for him. You still got to deal with Georgia. But you don't have to deal with Alabama and LSU regularly um, when this new schedule format kind of rolls out. I know right now LSU and Florida are permanent opponents. I don't know if that sticks. I don't expect that to stick. And I think Florida's probably happy about that. But it should be a good year for Florida. 
Now, do they get into the New Year's Six? I don't, I don't think so. But uh, and again, of course, they could drop one of these toss-up games and um, you know be an eight-four type team. But uh, I think it will be a winning year, and I think offensively they're going to be a lot more consistent than they were last year. And it's still incredible to me to think that uh, you know Richardson didn't do better under Dan Mullen. And maybe they asked him to try to do too much. I don't know. But I think Billy Napier will know how to use him. And that was one of the reasons you recall, too, that, you know, I was so big on Billy Napier when we made the coaching change because I, I thought he could recruit within our footprint and find the players that he needed to run his scheme successfully and very consistently here in the state of Mississippi. And he can certainly do that at Florida. I think it's a good fit in that respect. But the, the question that I have is the same question I had about Dan Mullen. Is can Billy Napier recruit at the elite level to get Florida SEC championships? That's really going to determine the quality of his tenure there. You're competing against Kirby. You know, that's the thing. When you look at what Florida has done, you know, you had Mike Norville make the, the change at Florida State, a change at Miami. Why hadn't Florida – really putting a stranglehold on recruiting in the state of Florida. Why isn't that the destination school? And I don't know that Napier can do that. I don't know that Napier can push those guys to recruit at that level. And you look at what Miami's doing right now with NIL and recruiting, that's one of the biggest discussions in all of the, of the offseason. It's about Miami. It's not about Florida. You know, and I think with Mario Cristobal down in that state, I think Napier's going to take some shots. I don't think Billy Napier is going to be able to consistently recruit at that level. And then, you know, what happens if Florida State goes out and gets somebody really aggressive on a recruiting trail? Because I think Mike Norville, and I've shared this before, we're, we're bumping heads at Florida State too often. You know, Florida State should be recruiting against Alabama, Notre Dame, and Georgia and people like that. And they're out here going head-to-head Mississippi State and then losing commitments to Mississippi State, right? So I share that because I think Billy Napier will do well at Florida. I don't know that he gets them where they want to go, though. And I think three to four years from now, we'll be talking about that. Can Billy Napier get Florida over the hump? Mario Cristobal back at Miami with their resources and their commitment to try to get back is going to make it very difficult on Florida. And you know as well as I do – you know, when you go out there and you kind of kick the rival school around the recruiting trail, people want to crow about that. So I think that's important to kind of watch. I think there's an interesting backdrop in Gainesville right now. And, you know, if you're Scott Strickland, you got to hope this thing works out. I do think the guy wins. You know, I think he'll probably avoid, you know, six and six, five and seven type seasons just because Florida will be able to out-athlete a lot of teams. Uh, but what happens later in the year when in the next couple of years some people are kind of figuring out those wrinkles and say, okay, we're going to take this away and make you play football a different way. That's going to be interesting. But, again, in order to compete at the level that Florida fans expect and the Bull Gators demand, you have got to be able to be an elite recruiter. And I don't know that Billy Napier is. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan is my friend, your friend, a friend of Starkville, a friend of Mississippi State. Part of a great group of folks bringing a wonderful residential development to Starkville. Trying to make Starkville a better place to live. It is the best place to live, but we're not going to allow anybody to gain ground on us. This wonderful development just over a mile away from the Mississippi State campus. How cool would that be to live that close? Be able to pass Davis Wade Stadium on the way to work every morning, right? Come to Starkville. Be, be a Stark villain. 
And I can give you Brooks' phone number, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Your home for the needs of every growing family. Maybe it's your ballgame weekend retreat. Maybe it's your primary residence. Maybe it's your future retirement home. Portico has a plan and a place for you. Uh, Phase one completely sold out. Phase two, uh, 10 houses under construction now. They'll be finished very, very soon. Many of those up for sale. If you want to pick a lot or pick a custom plan, have some say in how the house is built, you can do that. Brooks can get all that lined out for you. Reach out to him. If I was moving to Starkville now, it's where I would move. Come be my neighbor. Make Portico your next move. All right, Mississippi State picked up four commitments last week. The run isn't over. Now, there is going to be an announcement today. Justin Brown, wide receiver from Blackman High School. The crystal ball picks all favor Mississippi State. Just two predictions, Paul Jones and myself. uh, Announcing in about over an hour. And uh, this is a young man, too, that really, I think, fits what Mississippi State wants to do. Six foot, 183 pounds. Again, up there around Murfreesboro. But the offers from Mississippi State, Penn State, Pitt, Purdue, West Virginia, Colorado, Indiana, Kansas, Memphis, Miami, Middle Tennessee, Missouri, Northwestern, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Tennessee State, UT Martin, Vanderbilt, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, Western Kentucky, and others. Guys got a lot of options to choose from. Eric Mealy and Drew Hollingshead doing the heavy lifting for Mississippi State. Really excited about this young man. We'll have an article uh, on Gene's page today uh, about his commitment. Uh, We do expect him to pick the Bulldogs. And that would give you three wide receivers, three receivers in this class. And uh, I think that's important to kind of understand, kind of looking at some of the stuff here too. You know, he, he did visit Purdue, uh, looking around. I always kind of see what, what are the other schools reporters uh, having to say. So, there was a report earlier today from our Pitt website. Here's what they said. Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Blackman wide receiver Justin Brown plans to make his decision later this afternoon. Uh, excuse me, it's the West Virginia side. It will not be West Virginia. I'm expecting Mississippi State, but that doesn't mean the Mountaineers are necessarily out of it. Brown has said he will take all five of his official visits no matter what. He's only taken one. That's to Purdue. And West Virginia is one of the schools he has in his top grouping. I'd be stunned if he made a commitment and then shut everything down. Stunned. Doesn't mean I think he'll automatically flip, but I do expect him to take some trips in the fall and into December. I don't know if that's true. It's funny how that happens. A lot of people say, I'm going to commit and take visits, whatever. And then they commit, and then all of a sudden, the luster of the experience kind of fades a little bit. Especially with, hey, I can go down there and watch my future team and get to read on my coaches. And so a lot of guys plan to take visits. That's not to say that he won't take one. He's already taken one. He'll take one to Mississippi State. But that's not to say that maybe he wouldn't take another trip. I don't think it's anything to worry about. There was some discussion that he would make a later decision, and then all of a sudden now he's gotten ready. Uh, Justin and his family took an unofficial visit to campus here a few weeks ago uh, prior to the beginning of the dead period, and it really felt like Mississippi State kind of solidified themselves as the right choice. He has taken some time to think about it, and now here we are. Uh, so we do expect to add him to the class. So what, you know, what else is there? Well, you know, there's Santana Fleming out there too. I really like Santana Fleming. He shared an article yesterday that he is going to basically, he was projected to end up in the SEC West. 
and mentioned Auburn as Mississippi State as potential destinations. I think a lot of this is going to depend on what Chris Parson does. Chris Parson, Santana Fleming, very close. I think there is a really good chance that State gets Santana Fleming. I think if Chris Parson commits, and I do expect that to happen, that Fleming will follow him to Mississippi State, and I think that probably closes out your wide receiver group, barring some attrition late, and you always could pick up a transfer. And, you know, back-to-back years, Steve Spurrier has done that. You get Makai Polk, you get Jameer Calvin, and then this past year you get uh, you know, get, get Robinson and, um, and Mosley. And so uh, I wouldn't discount that. You may take five receivers. You just kind of depend on what happens. But, uh, you know, a guy I mentioned earlier, too, is Antonio Harmon. I guess we expect him big things from him this year, too. And that's a guy that Steve Spurrier stayed on after people kind of had conceded him to Ole Miss and then things didn't work out with Ole Miss, and here he is. And I think they're going to regret that. Uh, but I like the looks of this wide receiver class. I wrote an article earlier today about Jacoby Belazar. Sat down, watched his tape again a little more intently. Really like what he can do. A little bit like Tulu. and might actually have a little more wiggle than Tulu, but has the same level of foot speed. And so when you begin to think about what Justin Brown brings to the table with what you already have committed, you got Nakai Poole from Norcross, Georgia, and now you have Belazar. You get Justin Brown, and if you can get Santana Fleming, uh, I think you've really begun to stack three, three consecutive wide receiver classes you can be awfully proud of. Certainly. Uh, so what's up with Chris Parson? That's what everybody wants to know, right? I believe within a week to 10 days that Chris Parson will be a Bulldog. If he's not, I'm going to be both disappointed and surprised. I think things continue to trend in that direction. And you'd like to have your quarterback. As a matter of fact, in, in the two years that Mike Leach has been here, we have had our quarterback before now. And had Brock Glenn not exploded the way that he did, he would have been your quarterback commitment in this class. But you know what? Congratulations to Brock. Good luck at Ohio State. Honestly, I think Chris Parson – is a better fit for us. And I think Chris Parson is a guy that uh, when things break down, can go make some plays with his feet and provide a little innovation to this offense. But uh, I like the direction of the class. And the first thing people say, well, Steve, you know, we're 10th in the SEC, which is traditionally around where we are, uh, but we're just pushing the top 50. We don't have the star power in state to really push a top 25 class. We're going to need to pick up some guys out of state uh, with some ranking power that kind of push us ahead. I, I just don't know at this point if we get to the top 25. I, I think we'll be top 30. Do we get to the top 25? I don't know. I, I think that's going to depend on how we do defensively. But, uh, you know, again, we took a Bulldog recruiting inventory here a couple of days ago. You got three offensive linemen in, all three of them outstanding prospects. You're going to go get at least two more, probably a high school guy and then a transfer possibly two high school guys to see how things kind of break out. But you look at this wide receiver group and uh, you look at Seth Davis, the running back, and, and I've shared before too, you know, my only concern with Seth is size. He has the foot speed. He has the wiggle. He has the pass catching ability. He is a guy I think can, can be a, an interesting piece in the air raid. Uh, but, you know, what, what's happening? You know, what happens next with him? You know, can you have him on the field on third and long? Can he step into the A-gap and take on a blitzing linebacker? That's my only concern with him. But from a production standpoint, as I wrote yesterday, you know, he was in the top ten running backs in the state of Texas. And five of the guys ahead of him, seniors. So they're gone. So he has a chance to have a big year and uh, probably be an all-state player in the state of Texas this year. So you like what he can bring to the table. 
But, uh, you know, size-wise, that's a concern. He's around 5'7", five, 5'8", five, not the biggest guy, doesn't have a big frame. He's not going to be – like I've heard some people make a comparison to Ladarius Perkins. I, th- I think Perk was probably a little stiffer than Seth. I think Seth probably has a little more wiggle, and I don't know that he could add the mass to kind of compare uh, to Perk as a, as a physical player. I think Ladarius Perkins has got a pretty special blend of player uh, and had really good uh, foot speed in the open field. Uh, but I like what we're doing offensively. I think you really probably the, the, the story is going to be told on this defensive class, which will be largely made up of Mississippi players. But you get Chris Parson, you get Justin Brown, you get Santana Fleming, I think you feel really good about your offensive skill. And, you know, the best receiver in the state this year is Aiden Williams, and state's just really not been a factor with him. We've tried to be. And I was told from the, the day that I set up his profile that State was kind of behind the eight ball because if he chose to stay in State, it was likely going to be to Ole Miss. Uh, and, but LSU was kind of a dream school for him, and I'm surprised he hadn't committed already. I wouldn't discount South Carolina either. South Carolina hosted him on an official visit here recently. Uh, so that could be a factor to consider too. Uh, but that, you know, there's not a lot of receivers in the State this year. And I think when you look at who State is on – uh, the guys that are kind of leaning to Mississippi State are guys that I would su- I would suggest are, are better than everybody else in the state of Mississippi, perhaps with the exception of Aiden Williams. And there's not a lot of great running backs in the state this year. I mean, you say, well, Steve, there's there's Git Perkins that's committed to Ole Miss, and he is. He is an outstanding high school back, but I think he projects as a linebacker. Ty Jones, phenomenal athlete, lines up at running back for defending state champion Bay Springs, and those two teams will uh, – We'll go head-to-head in week one. I plan to be there for that game. But Ty Jones is a guy, too, that projects as a linebacker. Could he play running back in a pinch? Yeah, but I think he's a guy, too, that probably plays a little bit high. Uh, so probably needs to be on the defensive side of the football. But there's just not a running back in the state this year you look at and say, that guy's a bona fide SEC guy. That isn't always the case. Most years we have a guy at running back that we feel really, really good about within the state of Mississippi. Just really not the case this year. So – We'll see how things progress. We'll see how things go. But I like what the staff is doing so far. But, again, if you're expecting us to push into the top 20, that's not going to happen this year. It's just it's not going to happen this year. Maybe next year. And, again, it's a good class in-state. It's not an elite class in-state. We just don't have a ton of headliners this year. And, uh, and there's some guys, too, near the top of the rankings that just, you know, are not Mississippi State guys. And that's not a knock on them. Sometimes they just like the other guys better. You know, just kind of how it is. You'll get Perkins – uh, came with his family back in June. There was some talk he may be there for a top dog camp in July. He, he didn't come. Uh, we don't expect him. I, I do expect that he will either stick with Ole Miss or flip to Alabama or, or somebody like that. And there was a lot of discussion that he was going to flip to Alabama here as of late. So we'll see how things progress with him. Uh, I do not expect Mississippi State to be a factor with him. If, if we are late in the process, that is a very interesting and important development. I am just not expecting that to happen. Uh, so – it's a defensive line class. We've got to get some work done there. But, uh, but I like what we're doing on offense, and I think the train kind of keeps rolling there. And you start looking at the quarterback room that Mike Leach has assembled, one of the better ones probably in school history. And, and it seems like we say that every so often. And I go back to thinking about, you know, when Dan Mullen walked into the room the very first time, and you got Chris Ralph and Tyson Lee and, and Tyler Russell and, and guys that are, you know, very, very different from what Dan Mullen uh, traditionally had, but he made it work. And I, I think when you look at the, the floor of the quarterback room that Mississippi State has now, it, is, it far exceeds what Joe Moore had inherited and certainly what Dan Mullen inherited. Uh, 
Uh, and I, I would suggest even more so than what uh, Sylvester Crum inherited. But um, so we're getting there. It's just a matter now of kind of being consistent. But, uh, you know, you go out and get K.J. Costello, and I know that things didn't work out, but he was the second highest-rated quarterback transfer in the country. You go and get that guy. It's a good job of recruiting. Will Rogers, a guy obviously that signed with Joe Moorhead, but a guy that was also recruited by Mike Leach, who had the third most prolific passing season in the history of the Southeastern Conference. Sawyer Robertson, Daniel Greek, you get those guys early on. Then you get Braden Locke last year, a guy that set the Texas high school record for touchdown passes in 6A football. And now you're going to add Chris Parson to that? It's almost an embarrassment of riches. It really is. I mean, you expected Mike Leach to be able to recruit quarterbacks at a high level because everybody wants to throw it a lot. They do. So I'm not going to worry about quarterback recruiting under Mike Leach, but I think it's awfully interesting that uh, Mississippi State goes out there and uh, and basically influences uh, Chris Parson uh, to make the change. And, of course, Chris Parson was a little bit disenchanted with Florida State, but Mississippi State has provided him a good opportunity. So I expect it to happen. I think it's just a matter of time before it does. And I think once Justin Brown commits – Chris Parson commits, and then hopefully Santana Fleming commits, then I think it's like, hey, now we're just kind of riding out a couple offensive line guys. And Mason Miller, I think, can afford to kind of go big game hunting. You've already got three big names in the boat. The top two offensive linemen in the state of Mississippi, and Malik Ellis from Laurel, who was a dandy dozen, and then Zay Alexander from Tupelo, who is a massive individual. And then you add Joe Crocker, a guy that uh, chose between us, Wisconsin, and Michigan State. And those are programs that routinely put offensive lineman in the National Football League. And so we're clearly on the right guys. How do we close out this offensive line class? Because, again, I think that that will basically fill out your offensive uh, side of the football in the 2023 recruiting cycle. But we're getting there. And then we'll kind of focus on some defensive players. You know, again, we've got three linebackers in, got a rush end in, and uh, got a handful of defensive backs. Got to get some more. We're going to need some safeties for sure. we got a lot of safeties leaving uh, at year's end. But I think this time next week we're going to be talking about some more commitments. How about that? And I know everybody's kind of waited with bated breath, like, Steve, what, what is the deal with Chris Parson? Why hadn't he committed? We knew going into the weekend he wasn't going to make an announcement. We didn't expect him to. We, we were hoping he would, but we weren't projecting that. I think now that the season's kind of drawing nigh, he's realizing, you know, well, hey, let's get this thing done. Let me get recruiting for my guys. And, uh, again, I commend your staff, our staff, for doing a good job making this thing awfully interesting. So uh, that's your recruiting update for today. A couple more things I want to talk about before we get out of here. I interviewed new baseball transfer Connor Heisek, and it is Heisek. I know it's phonetically you think it would be pronounced another way. It's Heisek. Uh, he tells me that he is open to playing whatever he needs to play position-wise. A lot of people thought, hey, if we went and got a shortstop, does that mean that Lane Forsyth has lost his job? Well, no, that's not what it means at all. We had to get some right-handed power. I talked about that at the beginning of the portal season. Most of our sluggers were on the left-hand side. We needed a right-hand bat. We thought we had that in Bill Knight. Bill gets drafted, signs with the Mariners, and then Connor Heisig goes in the portal. It's not like Connor was already in the portal just kind of waiting around for a phone call. It all kind of happened within a few days of each other. And so uh, Connor, now a Bulldog, could be a factor in left field, could be a factor at third base. He, he said this fall that Lamonis has told him we're going to try him all over and figure out where he fits best. You just got to find a way to get him in the lineup. He hit 12 jacks last year, driven 55 runs, stole 17 bags, hit 290. You know, that, that's an interesting piece. So what's left for Mississippi State? Well, you know, 
we'd like to find another guy to provide some competition on the weekend. You'd like to find another guy, even from the G5, you know, a guy that's got some weekend starting experience. Even if the guy ultimately becomes a middle reliever or becomes a guy that, um, you know, works on the backside. You know, he could be a guy that, uh, you know, could be a second baseman. He could be a guy third, you know. And so the reality of it is is that you've got a guy that has some versatility but can also bring some thump. And we desperately needed some right-handed power. Uh, this is a good get for Mississippi State. He's excited to be here. Of course, he played in the regional here in 2021, so he's very familiar. Didn't take an official visit uh, and really didn't need to. He said he already, already had a pretty good feel of the campus, but said he goes, hey, man, it's Mississippi State. And one of the reasons he's coming is, is all you. He said, hey, man, it was so incredible to watch people kind of file in and the atmosphere they created uh, at, at Duty Noble Field during the Starkville Regional. So, again, a positive step back, but we've got to find a guy I think to provide some competition on the weekends, uh, even if they end up being uh, a middle reliever. And I, I got a little convoluted there, so if I got off topic a little bit, I apologize. I had a phone call uh, right when I'm con- talking about uh, Connor Hyzak and then the pitching side. You know, So, again, the pitching side could be a starter, could be a middle reliever, could be a guy that works on the back end. But uh, I think we feel pretty good about uh, the pitchers that we have. You'd like to have a little more competition. But there's going to be a lot of new arms. It's like I don't think people realize – what is it, 14 new arms, something ridiculous like that? we got a lot of new arms that are coming in between the recruiting class and the portal. Uh, and, again, I don't expect a lot from Stone Simmons this year and really Brooks Auger. I mean, you know, it's like those guys had some very serious injuries, and I, I was told that uh, Stone Simmons may not be available till late in the SEC season. Uh, he will have another year of eligibility, so we'll see how things progress with him. But, um, you know, that's kind of where we are. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty, and it's like people are like, Steve, give me some names. Well, you know, there's not a lot of names to be had at this point, so we're working on it. Uh, but we do think Mississippi State may be one player away now from closing out the transfer portal uh, recruitment. But I don't think you'll see Chris Simona sign a guy just to sign a guy. If there can't be a guy that can help us, then we're going to go some a different direction. All right, so if you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. I signed about 100 books yesterday. They uh, needed some signed stock. I signed copies of Flim Flam. Uh, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, just very, very, very few of Stark Villains left. A few more Alpha Dogs, but uh, just about out of Stark Villains. And so if you're looking for that, you need to go ahead and get that. Of course, Dogpile available uh, everywhere. But the best place to get them personalized is dogpilethebook.com. Somebody's getting a birthday present. Somebody's wife bought them a birthday present. I won't say who because I want to give it away. But I signed that yesterday. And so happy birthday to you, sir. Your wife has good taste, and uh, she bought you the book, and I personalized the book for you. And uh, a lot of people just want signed books. There is signed stock available. So, like, if you order today and you just want a signed book, they're going to ship it out within a couple days, and then you'll have that. If you need it personalized, it takes a little bit longer because I don't, I don't get to Jackson that often. They don't get to Starkville that often. So uh, it's usually maybe give it a week to two weeks before uh, there's a personalization shipped out. But – if you just want signed copies, you can get them at dogpilethebook.com. That's D-A-W-G-P-I-L-E, thebook.com. And if you need Stark Villains gear, and we have had a, a resurgence in Stark Villains orders, I guess people are excited about the, um, the season, go to starkvillains.com. And again, if you live in the Starkville area and your kids or you want stuff on a Stark Villains shirt and your school colors, you can get that. How about how cool is that? We've made that available to you now. Uh, for the better part of a year. You can get them in black and gold. You can get them in orange and blue. And uh, I suspect that your kids would like that to wear to Friday night games. That's just my opinion. I think that would be a lot of fun. 
to have a Stark Villain shirt because we, you know, are from Starkville. And then if you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it. Matter of fact, I just, uh, they just, just started the next printing of Blooms of Oleander, which is really cool. I mean, it really is. That book's been out now, what, 14 months, but uh, pretty excited about that. So uh, you can order that uh, through Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, booksandmegan.com, and then also uh, your local bookstore can order it through Ingram. That's it for today, man. I'm going to get up and uh, put on some clothes, cleaner clothes, and uh, get ready to go sweat out at uh, football practice, and I'm excited to do it. We'll have full coverage of practice over at jeanspage.com today. If you're not a member, you certainly should be. Uh, we're going to have a lot. We're going to blow it out. We're going to have a lot of coverage of this football camp, and we're going to have, I think, a week, basically six days straight of camp, and you're not going to want to miss that. We're going to have daily updates to the depth chart. We're going to have reports. We're going to have uh, – uh, player features, we're going to talk to Mike Leach later today, so you can find a full transcript of that over at jeanspage.com uh, later this evening. That's it for today, man. We'll see you guys on Monday. Until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.